as we continue in the series that we are in exiles as we are walking through the book of First Peter. And uh, we are uh, going through this letter that was written by the Apostle Peter to a group of believers that are going through a difficult circumstance. And I'll just say, this series that we're walking through right now, this is who we are as a church, okay? If you wonder, what are we about? We don't get up here and preach our opinions. I don't get up here and preach my opinions. Our desire is to dig into God's Word together, to know what He has said, and then to try and live faithfully according to that. And I think this letter that was written 2,000 years ago is still relevant to our lives today. As believers, all right? So we're going to dig in together. If you got your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3? 1 Peter chapter 3, if you're pulling it up on your phone, we're going to be in the NIV. And as you're turning, just a reminder, we're in our Bible reading plan through the New Testament. So if you've gotten off course at all, I encourage you to jump back in. Don't give up on it as we work through the New Testament this year, okay? Would you stand with me around the room as we read our primary text? If this is your first time, this is nothing sacred about this. This is just our tradition to say, God, we honor your words over my words. First Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse number 8, says this. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever love and see good day, day, days sorry, must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Going on in verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right... You are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Would you do something with me this morning? As we open our hearts, would you just put your hands over in your heart? And I just want to pray that we would have open ears this morning. God, we, we thank you, Lord, that you want to speak to us. We thank you that you've given us this word to speak to our hearts, Lord. And so right now, we purposely, God, our hearts are open to you. What do you want to speak to us? How do you want to lead us? How do you want to guide us, Lord? We give space for that this morning. I pray that we would walk out of these doors with a greater intentionality of what it means to follow you today. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Uh, question, how many of you remember group projects when you were in school? I remember group projects when you were in school. Okay, I want you to take 20 seconds. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to tell them whether or not you liked group projects and why. Okay, turn to your neighbor, whether or not you like group projects and why. All right, all right, all right, all right. All right, how many of you, how many of you say you like group projects? Raise your hand. Okay, how many of you hated group projects? Raise your hand. Far more hands there, okay? See, I'm, I'm with you. I hated group projects because I, I was a hard worker, so I kind of just felt like the lazy people were just leeching off of my effort. Can anybody relate to that? 
Okay, some of you that liked group projects, you were the lazy people that leached off of us. Ah, whatever. <laughs> I get it. But you remember when you would start a project? Remember that moment? Like they put you in a group, like you got your group project going on. There was always that moment uh, because they'd usually put you in a group, but they wouldn't select a leader. And so you're just kind of in the group, and it's kind of one of those things you're feeling each other out like, who, is, is somebody, is somebody going to lead this thing? Are we in charge? How's this, how's this going to work? And I call myself a, a begrudging leader. Like, I don't have to be the leader. Like, I'm okay following. But in the absence of a leader, I'm happy to take charge, you know? And so a lot of times in those groups, I found myself like, nobody's going to lead. All right, let's go somewhere. Let's do something. And, and I get it because we all understand, and I specifically, I understand that who's in charge is critical, right? Who's in charge matters. Who calls the shots matters. And this is going to become evident in the text that we're going to talk about today, Okay. Uh, to give you a little context of, of the passage that we just read, remember, we're in this letter. Paul, uh, Peter is writing this letter to a bunch of believers that are living in a difficult circumstance. And so he starts this letter with encouragement, talks about this living hope that we have in Jesus, talks about this inheritance that's held in store for us. He talks about this identity that we have in Christ, all this amazing stuff for a chapter and a half. It's all the amazing things. And then we get to a turning point in the book where he pivots and he says, based on all the good things you have, have in Christ, now here's how you need to live. This is the response we need to have. And the pivoting verse is found in chapter 2, uh, where he says this in 2 verse 12. He says, live such good lives among the pagans or unbelievers, people who don't follow Christ, among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. And so then last week, we looked at the next section right after this, where he talks about this whole idea of submission. And we said this, that Christ followers choose radical submission. Christ followers do the same thing Jesus did. Jesus lived a heart of submission. He laid his life down. And that's what we are called to as followers of Christ. But then we get to the text today, and it begins with the word, finally. Finally. And you need to understand that finally is connected back to that verse that says we need to live such good lives. Right? He's still connecting everything to that verse. And so he's going he's gonna to give us two thoughts of what it looks like to live these good lives. And they are motivated, these two things he shares are motivated by one core truth. And that's where we're going to start today. We're actually going to start with our big so what today, okay? And so I got a big so what, and then we got two points we're going to look at. But the big so what this morning is this. You must decide who is Lord of your life. You must decide who is Lord of your life, okay? You're like, well, that's a very churchy thing to say, Greg. I know, but it is the most critical thing you can ever figure out on this earth. Who is going to be Lord? Just like the group project in school, right? You have to decide who's in charge because somebody's going to be in charge. You get the choice to decide who is going to be in charge. And it's cute to say, well, Jesus is my Lord. Well, Jesus is my Lord, right? My Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a cute thing to say. Question, is he really? Is Jesus really the Lord of your life? Is he really the one who gets to call the shots in your life? Is that really what's going on? See, the phrase Jesus is Lord gets thrown around a lot. You ever watch a sporting event? You know, you watch a sporting event, the game goes on, and they got the guy who does all the amazing thing, and at the end of the game, they shove a mic in that athlete's mouth, and sometimes you hear an athlete say, I just want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And sometimes that person is evident like they passionately love Jesus. But there are some times where the person who said that, you're like, yeah, I watched you for two hours in that game. And nothing about your behavior looked like someone who was submitted to Jesus. Right? Right? The same thing can happen at the Grammys. You get somebody step up, oh, I, I win the Grammy for this album I wrote, right? And I go, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for the album that's about drugs and alcohol and sex, right? Like just saying it is not enough. Just saying Jesus is Lord, yep, Jesus is my Lord. That is not enough. That doesn't get the job done. There's a difference, okay? And so everything Peter is about to say to us starts with this fundamental decision. Who is Lord? Really? In your life, who is Lord? And so I want to look at the passage. If you got your Bibles, look at verse number 13. Verse 13 says this. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Now, he's just giving a basic principle. Like, if you're, like, doing good things, people are, generally speaking, not going to, like, have a problem with that. Like, like who's going to harm you? They're, they're not going to do anything. That's a generally a true statement in our world. But he goes on, and he says this. But even if, even if you should suffer for what, like, you did the right thing, you did good things, and you suffer for that, you are blessed. Say, you, you might not be blessed here in this world. Maybe it'll be hard for you right now, but you are being blessed by God. God is going to bless you for being faithful even when it's hard and difficult. But he goes on, he says, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Listen, like, you, you, you can't be concerned with what everybody else is thinking, how they're gonna respond to you. And then he gets to the core and it's kind of the center of this whole section in verse number 15 where he says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. This is the central idea. Do you really revere Christ as Lord? Because if you do, it's going to impact everything. If you don't, it's going to impact everything. Okay, and so we walk through this because whoever is Lord will ultimately dictate what you do and how you live your life. If you are Lord, then... You will live lives that are naturally self-centered, naturally centered on you, what you want, how you want things to be. Naturally, if, if you are Lord, you will be rebellious toward God's ways. You're going to do what's comfortable to you and what you desire, not what God desires. If you are Lord, you will be fearful of man. You're going to be concerned with everybody else. Whatever actions are, like when you're at school, you're going to be worried about what people at school say. When you're at work, you're going to be worried about what the people at work are going to say. That's what you're going to be most concerned about. If you're Lord, right? I'm worried what everybody, how are they going to respond? Are they going to like me? Is this going to be challenging? Is this going to have a negative impact on my future in some way? Like you're going to be fearful of man. If you are Lord, you ultimately will be unwilling to endure suffering. Because when it, if you're Lord, and it gets difficult to follow Jesus, you're like, I'm out of here. <laughs> I don't need this. I, I'm, not, I'm not doing this. Though. Like this following Jesus, it was supposed to be like good things, like good news, gospel. I don't, this doesn't feel good to me. I'm out. You will want to do things that are comfortable now. Because all of us want to be comfortable. I love lazy boys, right? Like we, I just helped my brother-in-law move into this house. He's got this massive couch that somebody gave him, and it's got like, the legs that come up, and it's got vibrators inside. Like, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's this big, comfy couch. It's so amazing. Okay, we love that feel. We want to be comfortable. If we're not submitted to Christ as Lord, then we're going to choose that over anything else. Say, God, I want to do what's comfortable right now. Okay, but if you revere Christ as Lord, then he gets to call the shots. 
He ultimately, he gets the power. I love saying it this way. He gets the power of decision-making in your life. Like when it comes to your life, who gets to decide? When there's a question, when there's a conflict, who gets the final say? When you're on the throne, it's you. If Christ is on the throne, it doesn't matter what you are feeling about it. No, he gets the say. It's no longer about what you feel, but about what he has said. What he has said about your words, your thoughts, your attitudes, your money, your sexuality, your heart, your time, how you love, how you treat the poor. And we could go on and on and on because he has spoken about those things. And the question is, who gets to decide about those areas of your life? Who's really calling the shots in those areas of your life? If we're going to be followers of Christ, if we really are going to say Christ is Lord, then we don't get to have a portion of our life that we say, that's mine. You don't get to decide about that one, Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus. This is the starting point of faith. Who is Lord of your life? And I would just ask you to really think about this right now. Who is Lord of your life really right now? If you were to be honest, who is really getting to call the shots in your life? We all need to ask that. So this central idea, kind of this is the starting point here. And so Peter's going to kind of jump from this. And there's two major thoughts that we see play out in this text surrounded by this verse, okay? And so if you're taking notes, there's two things I want you to write down. First thing is, first challenge Peter gives is this, live differently. Live differently. If Jesus is Lord, right, if he is truly Lord of your life, then it's got to show up in your life. Like things have to be different in your life. Now, when I say live differently, I'm not saying be weird, okay? How many of you know a weird Christian? Okay, if you don't know a weird Christian, you are that Christian, okay? I'm just warning you ahead of time. Like, just know that. Like we all know those people like, oh, they're acting like a Christian. No, they're being weird. Like, just because you follow Jesus does not mean you have to be weird, okay? Je people wanted to hang out with Jesus. It wasn't that he was weird, all right? Okay? But, but we have to understand that, that we do have to look different. We can't look the same as everyone. If our Lord is Christ, then we must look different. Even non-church people understand this. Because what do non-church people say about church people all the time? They'll call us one word. Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Why do they call us Hypocrites. Because even they know that we should live different. Like even they know that we have this calling, this standard, and that oftentimes we aren't living up to that thing. Okay? And so we reckon Peter's saying, listen, you got to live differently. This is going to be one of those look in the mirror kind of messages where we say, okay, am I living differently? Is my life marked by Christ as it should be? And so Peter's going to dig into a number of different things. And what I want you to see is that we walk through the passage. There's two ways we have to think about this. Because he's going he's gonna to speak to us in a way where like, yes, you personally, in your individual life, you need to see these changes in your life. But remember, he's writing this letter to a group of believers. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I had a message called Y'all. We talked about Y'all. He's writing to Y'all, you all, right? This body of believers. And so what he's talking about here has to not just impact your life, but how we relate together as the body of Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ. How do we interact with one another, all right? And so you want to follow along with me, beginning in verse number eight. He says this, finally, all of you, finally, y'all, okay, be like-minded. Be like-minded. There's got to be unity in the body, there's got to be unity in the body. The way that we relate to one another, there has to be unity. We have to fight for unity. How many of you know unity must be fought for? Like in your homes, 
in your marriages, you don't just stumble into unity. Like mom and dad just suddenly aren't on the same page all the time. What? You got to fight for it. You've got to work at it. And the same thing is true with us as a body of Christ. He's saying, if you all as the church are going to live different than the world does, then we have to be like-minded. We have to pursue that. Now, what are we like-minded around? They're the core truths that we, are sur- that we are submitted to, right? Who God is and who he's called us to be. But how many know we get our undies in a bunch about a lot of stuff that doesn't really matter, okay? Churches are notorious about getting divided over stupid things like music and clothes. Like, how, like, there's nothing that matters less than those things. Like, it's so foolish. And yet churches are, are known for their division about things that don't matter, And when we look divided and we get divided on foolish things, guess who we look like? The world. Because our world is full of people that get divided over stupid things. And Peter's saying, listen, you're supposed to look different. The church is supposed to look different. We're not getting divided over things that don't matter. No, we fight for unity. Every, In fact, that's one of our staff values as a a staff here at Zoe. Fight for unity. We got to work at this thing. And there's something, I heard this years ago. And this is something I want to posit to us as a church because I don't want this just to be, oh, yes, Greg, we should be unified. No, no. I want us to be the kind of church that fights for unity because the enemy wants to bring division in this place. He will. He'll use any means possible to divide us as a body, okay? And, and I heard this phrase years ago where it said this, if it's funky, lean in. If it's funky, lean in. What do I mean? If you've got a relationship situation, you've got something, maybe, maybe right now, there is somebody sitting in the room right now where things in your relationship are like, eh, something's a little, I think they might be mad at me. I think I might be a little mad at them. What do we oftentimes do? I'm just gonna ignore it and hope it goes away. How many know when you ignore things like that, usually it doesn't go away, okay? Same thing happens in marriage. You know, there's something off. Like, let's just pretend like that didn't happen. How many know that doesn't work, right? Like, no, we're gonna have to deal. If it's funky, if something's off, lean into it. And as a body, if we're gonna live this like-minded mindset and actually pursue unity as a body. It means when things get off, if there's somebody in this, some of you after service are gonna have to go talk to somebody here because something's a little off and you haven't dealt with it. Go deal with it, right? We're gonna be the kind of place that pursues that, that we are like-minded, that we are unified in the body of Christ, all right? So he says, number one, we gotta be like-minded, but then he goes on, he says, be sympathetic. In a couple verses, our, our words later, he says, be compassionate and humble. So we not only have to fight for unity, That looks different, but also we've got to fight a callous heart. I don't know about you guys, but um, there's a lot of pain in the world. (laughs) There's a lot of bad stuff that goes on in our world. And if you're like me, at times, it can kind of make you callous. You know, take a few hundred years ago. If so, all you really knew was about your own personal life and maybe my, the problems in my family or the, or the problems, you know, maybe in my community, you might know that. The good news of all the technology have is we know all the problems in the world at all times. You know of every war going on, of every plague going on, every problem. You know about your, you know, your elementary school, you know, cousin who has cancer. You know about every problem that exists out there right? Social media just throws it at you. And what can happen when you hear about all the problems all the time? Just get a little cold, get a little callous. And if you're like me, there are times where you see things and you see problems and you're just like, I don't really want to get involved in that. I don't want to get involved in that. You see somebody hurting like, oh yeah, they're hurting right now. I don't really want to get involved in it. Here's the things that we have to recognize as followers of Christ is that Christians are actually called 
to be emotionally involved with one another. I'm not saying that in some inappropriate manner. I'm saying the reality is like we're called to actually care for one another in a way that sometimes will affect our emotions. Like where we're actually sympathetic to one another. We're actually compassionate to one another. We're actually serving selflessly. We're meeting one another's needs, right? We, we don't get to say, oh, well, I don't want to get involved. No, that's the body of Christ. You are literally called to lay your life down for one another. Right? What did Jesus say? They will know you by your love for one another. The way you guys care for one another will be so radical, will be so different than the rest of the world. This unique body where you got all these people like, there's nothing else that holds all this group together except one thing, Christ. Outside of that, we are all totally different with different stories, different backgrounds, different families, all those kind of things. Yet we're united in that. And the fact that we who don't really know each other that well, if we could truly have sympathy and have compassion for one another and serve one another and care for one another like that, that looks different. And the world begins to see that and say, wow, I want some of that. I want to experience something like that. That's what we've been invited to. So we go on and he says, uh, love one another. Love, one another. that word love is phileo. Phileo, which means brotherly love. How many of you have a brother? Me have a brother, okay? How many of you, your brother still likes to pester you, okay? Some of you, okay. Okay, brothers are good at pestering. Yeah, I see, I saw all the little kids had their hands raised right now, okay? Like, that's not the kind of brotherly love we're talking about. The, the brotherly love that we're talking about is the kind of love that sticks with each other. It's the kind of love that, that defends one another. It's the kind of love that challenges one another. It's the, the kind of love that inspires one another. It's the kind of love that picks one another up when they're down. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of love I want in my life. Like, I want people that'll, like, go to bat if something's going wrong. Like, that will defend me, that will run after me, that will pursue me, that'll lift me up. Like, I want that in my life. My guess is you want that. And guess what? We live in a world that is craving that kind of relationships in their life. And if they could see that lived out in front of them, there is something enticing about the kingdom of God. Like, this isn't some stale religion that they're joining. No, I want to be a part of a community that looks like that. That's what he's inviting. But the question I want to I ask is, when is the last time you loved someone in the body of Christ like that? We're really guilty. I don't know about you, but I'm guilty a lot of times of pointing fingers at the church. You know, it's easy to say, well, well the church doesn't love like that. Question, do I love like that? Because <laughs> I am the church. There is no institution out there that I get to deflect to. No, am Am I living that way? Are you living that way? A lot of us, we want other people to love us that way. Are we taking the step to care for one another that way? That's the, God's invited us into that. And when all of us begin to behave away at, according to the values of the kingdom of God, guess what happens? We look totally different than the world around us. And that's something that's enticing to the world, okay? And so we go on in a, so he's given us all these encouragement. Peter gives us all these encouragement. Hey, Things you can think about, you know, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, all that kind of stuff. And then he gets to a warning here in verse number nine, if you want to read along. In verse number nine, it says this. It says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Saying, listen, don't respond like everybody else does, okay? Don't be doing that. 
when I think about this passage, uh, this responding insult for insult, I, I think of a video clip from the movie Night at the Museum. I want you to watch this real quick. I am not playing games here. It's a ridiculous scene, but when I think about how, how we live, a lot of times we just look like a bunch of monkeys slapping each other. <laughs> like, don't we? Like, we get insulted, and we insult right back, and it's just this game back and forth. Whoever it is, some of your marriages, that's what it looks like, just insulting one another back and forth, right? Some of our families, that's what it looks like inside of our family. Some of you are like, that's what it looks like at the office, just back and forth, just slapping each other over and over again. We don't respond as Christ would. We respond just like everybody else does. And so is it any wonder that why people look at our lives and they, they never ask us about our faith at all? They never even question things because there's nothing about the way we're living that looks different. And Peter's saying, that's not how it should be. No, if you're going to be living with this great hope that you have, this inheritance, this identity that you have, then there has to be some evidence in your life that you are choosing to live differently. Do we do this perfectly? Absolutely not. None of us will live it out perfectly, but there should be some evidence that we live differently. And when we do that, we get to point number two, which is be ready. Be ready. If we live differently, if we live lives surrendered to Jesus, if we live as a community with the values of the kingdom of God and live with hope, genuine hope in our hearts, someone will notice. So be ready. Be ready to share what you have. Be ready to share this hope that you have received with the world around you. If you want to look at verse number 15, it says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Like, you gotta be ready. You've gotta be ready. This, this hope that you have, it should kind of pour out of you. There should be a sense like, this person has a hope that I don't have. I don't understand that. And you better be ready to share. Why do you have that hope? What is that hope? Do you have to have a four-point sermon ready for that point? No. But you better be able to say why it is and be bold to do that. But it goes and gives a little bit more detail and it says this. It says, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. I think there's two different types of Christians when it comes to this passage. There's one side of the spectrum, which is those who say, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell them why I have a hope. They get a hammer and just like whack people over the head with it, right? Make sure they know what I think. Like, okay, <laughs> you've lost this whole idea of gentleness and respect in the journey, right? It, it isn't like we just come whack people over the head. This is good news. It should sound good when you're sharing it. <laughs> 
If it sounds like bad news when you're sharing it, you've missed it. Okay? But I think there's another side of the spectrum, which is over here, which is people like, well, I, I'm, not, I'm just not going to say anything at all. I'm going to live a good life, but I'm never going to speak. I'm never speak. I love the quote that says, you know, I'm going to preach the gospel and when necessary use words. I think that's a great quote. But here, uh, here's a little piece of information. You do need to use words, okay? Because if you don't ever preach, if you don't ever speak the truth, they'll never actually know. Okay, it isn't just a matter of living a good, it's living a good life so that when someone says, why do you have hope? That you have the opportunity to actually speak about the life that God has given you. To give, to give a voice to what God has done in your life. If he truly is Lord, right? If he really is Lord, then you can with confidence say that my life is different. God has given me a future. And, and no matter what I face in this world, no matter what challenge I walk through, I know I can have hope. Right? There is something for you to share in those moments. When I say the word evangelism, how does that make some of you feel? A lot of people makes you break out in a hot sweat, right? Evangelism, that's a little, I feel uncomfortable by that. Jesus doesn't speak specifically about being evangelist. He speaks about being what? A witness. What is a witness? A witness in in a courtroom, a witness is there to share what they saw, what they heard, what they've experienced. And we've been invited to be that. If we have received the hope that Christ has given us and we are truly living with him as Lord, which means our life looks different, right? Then we should be ready to share that hope and give witness to what Christ has done in our life, whatever we've walked through. A lot of us, we want to operate like prosecuting attorneys when it comes to faith. And that's not what we've been called to do. There are times where God maybe puts his spirit on you to, to, to take a step of boldness But at its core, we should be those who are bearing witness to the hope that God has given us. And it should sound like good news to every person who hears it because it is good news to every single person, okay? I know some of you are like, well, okay, Greg. All right, I wanna live differently. I wanna wanna be ready to share hope. But right now, Greg, I'm I'm in a tough season. So life is really hard right now. So when things are going better, that, that'll be a better season for me to talk about the hope that I have, right? Right now, it's not a good time. Here's what you need to know is the greatest moments for you to bear witness of the hope of Christ is in the hard seasons. It's when the garbage is going on. And some of you are there right now. You're going through a garbage season. You're going through a hard season. It's rough right now. You need to know that is the prime moment for the hope of Christ to reign. Because when you have joy in what should be a joyless moment, that's different. Like when you have hope in what should be a hopeless circumstance, people will take note of that. They will say, how could you possibly have hope right now? Like you're going through this physical need. You've been in the hospital over and over. You just lost a child. You've just lost and gone through some horrible circumstance financially, whatever. How could you possibly have hope? Because this isn't where my hope is. Like my hope is in Christ. I have an an inheritance. I have this living hope that it can stay alive. Nothing on this world, in this world, will kill it. Like nothing. It is a living hope that abides in me. Right? 
You need to know that there is a place for you. So for some of you right now, you're going through a valley moment and you're like, God, what possibly could, could come of this thing? How could any good come from this thing? Listen, live faithfully in the valley and God will use that to not only encourage your heart, but to encourage the hearts of those around you. It's a chance to speak his hope. I've, I've watched people at the end of their life. As a pastor, I get invited to hospitals and sometimes those people are at the end of their life. And I've watched church people and good people at the end of their life. And a lot of them still have fear about death, still have insecurity about the future. They're just like, I don't know what's going on. You know, you can sense it. But I've also been in the, I've been in the hospital room with people who you know Jesus is Lord. Why? There's joy in what should be a joyless moment. There's hope in what should be a hopeless moment. There's a confidence in Christ because he isn't some little addition to their life. He is Lord of their life. He is the foundation and the rock that they are planted on. And I wa I've watched people in the bed that look horrible ministering to their nurses and to their doctors and to the people who are visiting. Why? Because they just look so different than everybody else in the hospital. Their bodies look ravaged, but their spirit is alive. Right? That's what Christ has called us to. That we would come to a place where we would say, Christ, you're Lord. Whatever that means. <laughs> you get the power of decision making in my life. You get to call the shots. I, I choose to trust in you. And inev inevitably, when I do that, someone will notice. And I'm ready to share the hope that I have because it is not in this world. It's not a temporary thing. My hope is in you, Christ. Does your life look different? Are you ready? I want to close with a challenge this morning. And the challenge is just a question to ask yourself, am I living like Christ is Lord of my life? Not do I say he's Lord of my life, because it's easy to say things. I say lots of stuff. This one is one we have to live. Am I living like Christ is Lord of my life? This morning, there's some of you that you would say, you know what? I, this is the journey. This is the trajectory of my life, but I've gotten a little off course. It's a good chance to say, God, I want to come back to that. But there are some of you here this morning that maybe you've never truly submitted your heart to Christ. You've been a good church person, but you've never truly surrendered your life and said, I want to make you Lord. Or maybe you've walked away from that and you need to come back to him this morning. Good news, his arms are wide open. He's saying, come, just come back to me. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to him this morning. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes across the room. Father, we thank you that you are a good, good, good God. You are faithful you love us. You are slow to anger and abounding in love. And we thank you for your character, God. We trust in your character today, God. Lord, I pray for every single one of us. Lord, those of us who are here this morning and like, yeah, we want, we, we've committed to Christ. We follow you, Lord. But to be honest, there's parts of our lives where we would say, you know what? I'm still calling the shots in that area. And I pray even by your Holy Spirit right now, you begin to speak to our hearts. What are those things? What are those lesser gods that oftentimes are dictating the decisions we're making rather than submission and obedience to Christ. It's our own desires, our own needs, our fleshly needs, Lord, whatever those things are, God.
God, we submit those to you right now. With every head bow and every eye closed, if you're here this morning, and like, like a few did here in the first service already this morning, you would say, you know what, I need to, I need to submit my heart to Christ. I need to submit my heart to Christ. Maybe you've never submitted your heart to Christ, or maybe you've just been walking away from him and you say, I need a fresh start today. With every head bow and every eye closed this morning, I just want you as an act of submission to Christ, say, Christ is Lord. I want you to just lift a hand right now and say, yeah, God, I respond to Jesus. I respond to Jesus, yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna give a moment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, yeah. Several hands across the room. If there's any others, I wanna give a space. I don't wanna rush this moment. If you're with us online, I would encourage you to respond to Christ this morning. The invitation is there. He's calling you back to himself. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, you can put your hands down. If that's you this morning, if you lifted a hand, you said you wanna respond, I would just invite you right now just to respond in prayer with me. Just in your own heart, would you pray as I pray? Father, we thank you so much that you love us, that you care about us, Lord. And I I admit that I have done things my own way. I've been the one sitting on the throne of my life. I admit that, God, and I I need to turn to you. I believe in Jesus. I believe in his death and his resurrection. And I believe he's Lord, but he's more than just the Lord. God, I make you my Lord right now. And I ask that you would help me to live for you. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to live for you in everything that I do. God, that my life would be for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're responding right now, just in your own heart, just say thank you, Jesus, for new life. God, I commit my heart to you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I invite you all to stand with me across the room. If you made a decision, there were a number of you that responded. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have something for you in a moment, so don't go anywhere. But I'd like all of us just to take a moment to respond through this song. Can we just sing this song out as a response from our hearts? Saying, God, we offer all things to you.